This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to a quiet Monday. I'm hoping to bring just maybe an hour of normalcy back into your life. I am Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and this is the Word to Stand On for Life, a program, as you know, dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your questions, questions about the Bible, questions about what we believe as Christians and why, uh, questions about something going on in your life. We'll do everything that we can and Believe me, everything is going on in people's lives, even though our lives seem to be closeted a little bit. But all you need to do is call us. You can dial 210-340-9585. That's 340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call us toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. Numerically, that's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app and send your questions to us that way. Uh, If you are driving in your car, I'm told the streets are wet. I haven't been out for a while today, so if the streets are wet out there, be very, very careful. But you can use uh, the free KSLR mobile app and use the hands-free feature on your phone and be safe that way. We will do the best we can to answer your questions. One more time, 340-9585 is our main number. Hope you had a great day yesterday. I want to say at church, but it wasn't really at church. It was being connected uh, via live stream. Um, These are strange times. Uh, This was our second Sunday uh, with nobody here, just a small worship team and the people doing the sound and and uh, the technical stuff. Um, Paula, of course, was here. Um, and and while it's really really strange, you know, it's it's what we got. And the word went out. We had uh, so much internet traffic yesterday that uh, our system had a hard time. So, if you were one of those people who tried to listen, maybe going back uh, tonight. Uh, it'd be a little bit easier. It's pre-recorded now, and and you won't have the live streaming issues that we had. Uh, we're working really hard to fix that. Uh, we also yesterday afternoon uh, at home got news that uh, the president has extended the current mandate uh, through the end of April. Now, what that means for us, of course, is uh, Easter services and um, uh, Palm Sunday and Good Friday services. Uh, are all going to be live streamed like the rest of them. I, I can't imagine uh, not doing Easter. It, it's just inconceivable to me. Um, the most important day on our Christian calendar. And uh, I'm not going to be with the people that I love. 
I'll be with them in heart. I'll be with them in spirit. But I won't be with them where I can see them and hug them and, and, and know that they're okay. There's something I was telling Paula yesterday. We were talking about this after our service. I just said, you know, I, I need to look into people's eyes. I need to be able to see them. And then I felt a little convicted because, truthfully, my life hasn't been disrupted so much. I'm still doing what I do. I'm studying. I'm here all alone, but I'm studying. I'm still doing the radio program, which is a real breath of fresh air for me. And, um, you know, people are staying at home. And and Paula, uh, especially Paula, I was praying for her this morning. And just thinking, Lord, this is a woman whose gift, my gift is teaching. I, I get to do that still. But her gift is loving the people. I, I call her the, the, our church's love bomb. And Paula needs to explode. I mean, that's what gives her life. That's the purpose of her life. And she, she utilizes her gift of encouragement and her gift of love. Uh, and, and the people really know that they're loved. And so she's not able, you know, to, to explode love on people. You need to have people around. And so um, Paula's doing really, really well. But but she, her life has really been disrupted. And I say that because we understand what so many of you are going through. And our hope over these next days and uh, church days when we're live streaming our services, our hope is that uh, we can keep everybody's eyes, uh, hearts and minds focused on Christ who is seated at the right hand of God the Father. The hearts, I always say, the place of affection in the mind, the place of decision. And in these times when our schedules are so interrupted, we really need to fight. This is a time when we need to toughen up. We can hear from the Lord. These are times that we can open our Bibles and really dig in. Times that we can divide rightly the time from social media, from electronic devices and spin them with the Word of God. Times I believe with all of my heart that many, 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 many of you are going to get answers from the Lord on things that you've been praying about, things that you've been asking Him about, questions that have been running through your heart. And the only thing getting those answers requires is you making the investment of time, spending time with the Lord. And we certainly have a lot of time now. But look up. Jesus is coming soon, and this will all be a distant memory. One other thought before I start with the questions. Um, I'm expecting that God is going to do something with this. You heard me say last week that, that there's only a couple of occasions in our Bibles where God gets the attention of the whole world at one time. And right now, he has the attention of the whole world. He has you and me right where he needs us to be. In a place to be his advanced men and advanced women. It's our responsibility now to tell people. Whether you tell them via phone, whether you tell them if they're in your small circle of people that you're seeing face-to-face, six feet away, but nonetheless face-to-face. If you're in line at HEB or at Walmart, we have the answers to the questions they have. 
I said in my Bible study yesterday again that God is using this virus to shake the church. It's not shake us up, but more than that, to shake us out. And when he shakes us out, it means we've got a choice to make. Are we going to be his men, his women at this time? You know, Esther, the theme is for such a time as this. We who are born again believers right now, in the middle of this coronavirus quarantine, we have the responsibility to tell people who don't know Jesus about him, to share our stories, to share our testimonies. One of the things I, I really enjoyed about my study yesterday in First Timothy chapter 1, we finished the chapter, was it's sort of a hidden nugget, you know, it's, it's not the context nor the purpose of Paul writing to Timothy, order in the church is. But there's this precious nugget there about the power of testimony. It's almost I can see Paul writing it now. He dictated the letter, but, but if he wrote it, he'd be writing really fast. He'd have a big smile on his face. And he would be so grateful to God, he would remember that he was the worst of all sinners. And yet God first granted him mercy and then poured out his grace upon him and counted him worthy of appointing him as an apostle, a herald of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not because he deserved it, but because God's grace and mercy. And Paul was so grateful. And I told our church yesterday, sort of long distance via live stream, that gratitude equals power. And I think too many of us, this is one of the ways we're being shaken out, church. I think too many of us don't live like we're really grateful for what God has done. Especially now, uh, you've been sort of quarantined for almost two weeks. Many of you are being driven crazy by the quiet or the solitude or just the same surroundings. Paul and I were driving through our the alley, you know, where the garages are, and and boy, there's a lot of work being done on a lot of houses. I mean, people are antsy to do stuff. We need to focus on who he is and what he's done. And then with grateful hearts, the power of God will be poured out upon us. I think shaking the church out is a gut check. And remember what I just said, with all of my heart, I believe this is a word from the Lord. He's going to answer a lot of your prayers. If you give him the opportunity to do so, you just got to spend the time. He's going to answer the questions that you have. All you have to do is let him. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Let's go to San Antonio and talk with Tom on line one. Tom, thank you for calling. You are on the air. How you doing, my good friend? Love you guys. Love thank you, Tom. I'm doing well. How about you? I'm, I'm coping with this, too, and I've been telling people as many as I can, sir, that, you know, this is God shaking, shaking us right now, just what you were saying. Yeah. And it just confirms it how awesome it is. And 
Um, I looked at Matthew, I think it was Matthew chapter 24, verse 7, it said, uh, this is the beginning of sorrows, uh, the pestilences and the famines wars. And I know that it's been happening, but now it's even more so, I think it applies. What do you think, my friend? Tom, thank you. I, I agree with you. You know, one of the things that we have to be really, really careful of, Matthew 24 deals with the judgment from God on a, on a Christ-rejecting world. And, and we know we're not in that time yet. Now, certainly we're at those, the, the end of days where we see the world turning the way exactly the Bible says it will turn. But, but this is not the judgment of God. This is a, a sort of like an alarm clock. It's time to wake up. It's time to look up. Uh, a judgment of God, of course, we, you and I, Tom, as born-again Christians, we can't be judged because our sins have already been judged. But this is the time when we got to tell people they need to look up because Jesus is coming soon, and then judgment will come. And, of course, uh, Matthew 24 and 25, the first part of 25, Luke 21 and Mark chapter 13, uh, is all about the role of Israel during the Great Tribulation when it is the wrath of God being poured out on this world. So um, other than that slight difference i agree with you completely and our job as believers now is to let people know that judgment is coming i said it last week with regarding to to god getting the attention of the whole world at one time every time that's happened it's only been in reference to judgment is coming judgment is coming when noah was told by god i will not contend with men forever uh, 120 years, and it took Noah 120 years to build the boat, and God sealed him in, and then the judgment came. Noah's job, a preacher of righteousness, Peter calls him. Noah's job was to proclaim the judgment of God was coming. Well, in the same way, Tom, our job is to proclaim that judgment is coming. And we're so worried about not offending people. We're so worried about worldly, carnal things. We're unwilling to take those risks. And Jesus is saying, look, I'm going to put you in a place where you have no choice. And I believe, I said this a few moments ago, but but it is for such a time as this. You know, we American Christians in particular, we have been the most pampered Christians in the history of the church, in the 2,000-year history of the church. We have been the, the, the freest to proclaim the gospel, and we haven't done it. We have lived in a world that for most of my life made being a Christian very, very comfortable, very, very easy. And I think this shaking out of the church is God taking away our comfort level, taking away our routines, doing the same thing all the time. And he's asking us to get our orders directly from him. I think this is a time when we have to break out of those things that we've always done because, well, that's the way things are always done. And I think this is a time where we've got to every day check in with our Lord and Savior and say, okay, Lord, what about me and what about today? And I think the men and the women who will do that will be those who will be sort of on the vanguard of the movement of God's Spirit in these last days. And, Tom, I really believe God's Spirit is going to move one more time. And I don't want to miss out on that. God bless you, Tom. Thank you very much for your call. Here is a question from Anonymous. Um, Pastor Ron, how do you reconcile canceling services with not being afraid and trusting Jesus? Uh, I, I don't have to reconcile those two things, Anonymous. I'm a good 
uh, citizen. Uh, we're to live our lives um, um, following the rules. Uh, and I could be a, a rebel. I had a pastor friend of mine. And by the way, this is a really nice guy, so don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But but he said, you know, he thinks there's precedent for civil disobedience in the Bible. And this is a time he thinks that we need to be civilly disobedient. Well, there was a Florida pastor yesterday who got arrested because of it. What what a compromise to his witness. And I think God can use the airways. I think God can touch people's hearts. Um, I can tell you, Anonymous, I am not afraid. I can also tell you I trust Jesus with every fiber of my being. And yet we are going to um, be live streaming on Sunday this week. The following Sunday uh, is Easter Sunday. And unless they tell us that it is okay, we don't want people to think we don't care about them. We don't want to expose our people. So what we're going to do is we're going to give them the word in whatever avenue is available to us. So Anonymous, I hope that answers your question. And I don't take offense to that question, by the way. Let's go to Floresville and talk to our friend Margaret. Margaret, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi, thanks for taking my call. I have a question. Yesterday I received, um, I don't know, it's a video off of YouTube from one of my church friends, and she's a believer. And it was from a pastor from Calvary Chapel, which is the only reason I opened it. Normally I just chuck those things out of my inbox, but it's uh, Pastor Farag from Hawaii. Uh-huh. JD. Yeah, and he just seemed really spot on. I was, the things he said, it's, I'm not afraid for myself, but I'm afraid for those who don't know Jesus. And he was talking about the way that Israel is trying to move towards uh, one world government, and that the way the world will contain this coronavirus is through a vaccine that also has a chip that will help them track the people who have been vaccinated. Then I pulled it up, and what he said was right. What happens if people have their babies vaccinated? Well, uh, let me say something about J.D. I, I, I know J.D. very, very well, and he is a good guy. But he gets a little on the fringy. He gets a little on the fringy side when when he's talking about prophecy, and he has a tendency to look at the the Bible in one hand and the newspaper in another hand. And I think we have to be really, really careful of this. When Tom called okay. a minute ago, one of the things one of the things that I said to him was that we're not in the. In, this isn't the judgment from God. We who are believers cannot incur the wrath of God. And, and we, we sort of cheapen our testimony when we, we blow things out of proportion. There's a whole bunch of people who are sensationalists and they're saying, you know, this is the judgment of God. This is the plagues of Exodus being repeated. All those things. Now, these are signs of the end. They're signs that we're in the last days. But okay. uh, two, two things you need to know about the mark of the beast. The mark of the beast, and, and that's what J.D. is talking about when he's talking about uh, vaccinations. Um, we, have, we have the technology to do all of those things even now, but no one will take the mark of the beast without knowing it. God okay. protects babies. God protects you. He protects me. No one is going to take the mark of the beast without knowing exactly what they're doing. And that's why so many people are going to rebel. Now, they're all going to die for their faith. But remember, Margaret, that's in the Great Tribulation. 
So all of okay. the technology, all of the technology is available to do the, the chips. Uh, the technology is there for everything that, that we read in the book of Revelation. However, the Antichrist hasn't been revealed yet. He will first be revealed. Let me tell you, Margaret, I was laughing and then I started crying because it was so sad. There was a, a guy who sent... I know there were 50 of us or so, Calvary Chapel pastors uh, around the country, and and he, he identified uh, the Antichrist. He said, it's Elon Musk, and he's the Antichrist, and he had all of this convoluted thing. And, and you see, when we get crazy like that, our credibility suffers. And okay. Christians ought not to be caught up in those things. Just keep your eyes on Jesus. The, the, the judgments of the Great Tribulation will come when we are gone. What we have to do in these last days, Margaret, is toughen up, tell people about Jesus, and be about our Father's business because there just isn't a lot of time. Again, J.D. is a good guy, and he is a good teacher. Uh, the problem is he gets just a little bit uh, on the sensationalist side, and, and we've, got to, we've got to guard against that. Does that help you a little bit? It helps me a lot. I, Like I said, I wasn't afraid for me. I was afraid for those who were going to be here during all of that, the tribulation. Yep. So that, that, it does make me want to get out and tell people even more about the Lord. And See, that's, that's why, yeah, and that's why the Lord loves you so much, Margaret, because that's exactly what it's intended to do. Thank we you. tell people about, I'm, I'm not afraid to die. I don't want to die. I mean, I want to be here as long as God wants me to be here, not one minute longer. But I'm not afraid of this. I'm not afraid of, of um, um, eventually what's going to happen. What, what I'm afraid of is that I've got a son and daughter-in-law who aren't saved yet, right. grandkids. Uh, I've got people right. in San Antonio that I run into and I love to death, and they're not saved. And so we've got to sound the, the alarm. We're going to sound the alarm, and we're going to be called nuts for doing it, but, but it's okay. Oh, I, yeah, I'm, yeah, that's okay with me. I'd rather be a saved nut than a lost. <laughs> uh, whatever. Thank <laughs> okay, you, Margaret. Right. Uh-huh. God bless you. Thanks for the call. appreciate it. Again, I, I want to emphasize, I know J.D. For, uh, really well, and he's a good guy. However, um, we have to be balanced. We get out of balance, and people start tuning us out. And the one thing people don't need now is, this is the judgment from God. It's God's kindness that leads to repentance. We just need to tell them that their sins can be forgiven. And I think sometimes we forget that the Holy Spirit is the one who does all the work, and we don't have to. Okay, i got time for another question before this break. Um, Mark says, what did Jesus mean by this generation in Mark chapter 13 and in Matthew 24? Um, good timing for this question, Mark, because uh, this is again the Olivet Discourse that I was just discussing. And Jesus was telling his disciples about the things that were going to happen in the Great Tribulation. The signs and the wonders and the horror of the terror. And then he says, I tell you the truth, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have come to pass. And when he means by this generation, he certainly doesn't mean the generation that he was talking to. That's Peter and John and the other apostles. And we know that they're dead. They're with Jesus. 
Um, he doesn't mean the generation. Some say, well, you know, prophetically, a generation's forty years. There's some who say a generation's a hundred years. So this generation, from the time Israel regathered in 1948, it doesn't mean that at all. What he's talking about in Mark chapter 13, Matthew chapter 24, is that the generation who is alive, the generation who sees those signs and wonders, will not pass until all those things have have been fulfilled. So in the Great Tribulation, the last seven years on earth, these horrible judgments, these signs and wonders, Joel talks about it, about the moon turning or the, the sky turning completely dark, blood red, and and he says, When you see those things, the generation that sees them, well that's the end. We've got seven years left. It's one of the reasons, Mark, that we don't have to worry about blood moons and all of this nonsense that you see from these prophecy ministries that are just trying to stimulate people. Um, all we've got to do is know our Bibles. The whole idea that we know who the Antichrist is going to be uh, is counter to what the Bible teaches. He will not be revealed until we're taken out of here. And we have to worry about who the Antichrist is. That's why Jesus had prayed that you will be counted worthy to escape these things. Well, the way you're counted worthy is to receive the righteousness of Christ. So, Mark, good question. Thank you very, very much. Um, We're ready to close this half of the program. We love your live calls and questions at 340 9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR we've got 30 minutes left we'll be back in two of those minutes if you have questions about the Bible you can send them to Pastor Ron and he'll answer them on the air or reply directly to you email your questions to Pastor Ron KSLR at gmail.com that's Pastor Ron KSLR at gmail.com Back to the Word to Stand On for Life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the second half of the program, 340-9585. Here's a question from Jessica from our email inbox. She writes, Satan was Lucifer, a cherub. Actually, he was the cherub that covers he was like, along with Michael, the archangel, the top angels, the most powerful ones. The demons, she says, are fallen angels. Would you please explain the difference between the classes of angels? And is Satan the only cherub who fell? Is that why he's the head of all the fallen angels or the most powerful? And we know Satan is not omnipresent like God is. Yet people claim to be being afflicted by Satan simultaneously. You hear all the time someone say something like, Man, Satan's having a field day with me today. I'm feeling his fiery arrows left and right. But then a hundred other people could say the same thing at the same time. How does that work if Satan can only be in one place 
at a time. Good questions. Um, we're not given a whole bunch of detail in the Bible about the different types of angels. Paul talks about the principalities and the powers. And clearly, uh, Jessica, what he's talking about is there's, there's different levels of angels with different levels of power. Like everything else God has created, they're different, they're unique. Um, Lucifer, uh, morning star is what his name means, the light bearer, more literally. Uh, he was, the, the, according to Ezekiel 28, the most beautiful of all of God's angels. Um, only Michael is equal to him in power. Um, we know they're archangels. We know Gabriel is an archangel. We know that Michael is an archangel. Um, but there are all kinds of demonic spirits. And the fallen angels that are demons, um, they're simply those who got swept up. A third of the angels got swept up in Satan's rebellion. We know that from the book of Revelation. So we've got seraphim, we've got cherubs, we've got Lucifer, the cherub who covers. Uh, we have angels, Jude says, verse 6, that, that there are some angels that were so powerful that they had to be bound. They have been bound by God, awaiting their release during the Great Tribulation. So incorrigible, so unmanageable that God bound them. And when they get out, they're going to be really, really mad. You can read about that in the book of Revelation as well. So, if Satan is the only cherub who fell or not, is is something we don't know. Uh, um, again, he was the cherub who covers, so uh, he was in a class by himself. But I'm certain that there would be other cherubs uh, who fell to, to his deception. Um, he's the head of all of the fallen angels. Uh, simply because of power. But remember, and I think sometimes we forget that his kingdom is divided. You know, there's no unity. It's not like he has strategy sessions and all the demons who fell follow him. There, there's division and, and fractions among them. Um, that's what a divided kingdom creates. But but he is for sure the most powerful. You're right, Jessica, he's not omnipresent. He can only be one place at a time. But what he has is lesser demons who are everywhere. Now, we have no idea how many demons fell. A third of all of God's angels fell. Um, there could be billions of, of, of fallen angels, or we, we call them demons. So they're the ones who are out there. Now, people like us, Jessica, you and me, um, we're, we're probably not in the category where Satan himself messes with us. Uh, those are lesser demons who are doing his bidding and um, they want to destroy. They they want to want to keep us away from Jesus. They want to 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 get us depressed and fearful and all those things. So when you hear people say the devil is having a field day with me, um, that's general. Now we know the devil afflicted the apostle Paul. We know the devil himself afflicted Job. But for the most part, uh, if if the devil is messing with you. you. You are in a really, really powerful position of influence. For all of us, Jessica, there are lesser demons who are plenty powerful compared to us for sure. They can plant thoughts in our mind. Um, they, they can do things that, that make life very unpleasant. That's why we have to walk by faith. That's why we have to put on the full armor of God every day. But they're never going to stop bugging us. So that's the way Satan works. He can only be at one place at one time. He cannot read our minds, but he is perhaps the world's greatest psychologist. And not only is he a great psychologist, 
um, the demons, whether they're assigned specifically to you or to others or not, is also unknown to us. But the demons are powerful. And believe me, they can mess with us. we got plenty of descriptions in Jesus' ministry about the power of demons and the different levels of influence and power they have. Good question. Let's go to shirts now and talk with Scott on line one. Scott, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Good afternoon, Pastor Ron. It's great to Hi, hear Scott. your voice on the radio. Um, I just wanted to share with you, um, um, I was speaking last week about how we could get together with our Bible study group, and we were able to yeah. do it yesterday morning. It was such a blessing. Um, one of the the students there, they knew how to use a, it's called Zoom, but there's many programs yep. out there. We were actually able to get together in a small group setting and see faces and and um, be able to go through the Bible study. And I wanted to share one other thing. Um, that particular um, free service uh, had a limit of 40 minutes, so I was trying to kind of rush things, and then I thought we could start another session if we had some specific prayers and things to go through. And right at the very end, a little window pops up, and it says uh, they removed the limit. You can go as long as you need to. So oh, praise the Lord. Lord. It was awesome. It was awesome, brother. So I just wanted to share that with you and uh, and that I'm praying for you and your ministry. And the, the lady that talked, what a blessing it was to hear her. Um, yes, we need to be out there sharing. I, I feel like our actions um, speak a lot about who Christ is, but our reactions really show where our faith is. When we react in fear and anxiousness, you know, and it's not only revealing to others, but it should be revealing to us. So we need to take that into account. So anyway, God bless you, brother. Um, I'm Thank you, Scott. Have a blessed day. Appreciate it very, very much. I say amen to that because uh, the world is watching how we react. You know, the world is watching how husbands and wives and their children sort of clustered together <laughs> inside these walls, how we're going to handle these things. Um, you know, the world's freaking out. The world is getting busy. I got a guy in my neighborhood, that bless his heart, uh, they're, they're bikers. And uh, they got the best looking yard, the best looking everything, and, and because they can't stop, sit still. And we Christians, we need to learn to sit still very, very much. You know, Scott, about Zoom, I, I am not a techie at all. Uh, but uh, some of my techie colleagues, my Calvary Chapel pastors that we're in contact with during the day through a, a senior pastor list server, um, they, they're getting really, really uh, creative, and I'm hearing Zoom over and over and over again. We did this on Zoom, and we did that on Zoom, and I think it's a great way to stay in touch. Thanks a lot, Scott. I appreciate your calls, and I know you're praying, and I appreciate that even more. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. Here is our next question. It comes from Caroline. She says, "My pastor teaches that we are all worth nothing and deserve hell. Is this true? And how can anyone live knowing we're basically worthless?" Uh, Caroline, I think what you're misunderstanding. I'm going to give your pastor the benefit of the doubt here. Um, he's not teaching you that you're worth nothing. Um, and it is true that we all deserve hell. But when you want to think about your worth, your value, you have to think about it in terms of your value to God. God so loved you that he sent his son to die for you. The parable of the pearl of great price indicates that if you were the only one who'd say yes, Jesus still would have died. 
when he found one of great value. Well, Caroline, you're of that value. I've told my church in the past that the value is never established by the person selling something. The value is always established by the person who buys that object. And God looked down at you, Carolyn, and he said, you are so valuable, I'm going to give everything I have. I often tell the church that he emptied the bank of heaven for you. That establishes your value. So you are worth everything to the Lord. All beautiful you are, my darling. No flaw in you. That's what Jesus says to you if you'll just listen to him. Now, having said that, it is true that we deserve hell. Sin separates us from God. We are deservedly condemned. Now, how can you live knowing that you're basically not worthy of heaven? You live with a grateful heart. See, when the world tells you, or when even the enemy twisting the words of your pastor tells you you're worthless, say, no, 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 I know that's the devil, I'm not worthless, I'm worth everything to God. And then when you combine these two facts, one, that you deserve to go to hell, but God says you're worth so much to me that I can't imagine being in heaven forever without you. So I'm going to give you grace, God's unmerited favor to the infinitely ill-deserving. I'm going to give you grace, and you can come to me, and I'll live with you forever and ever. You'll be in my presence. Well, then you live like you're really valuable. Because God gave you something priceless. So don't conflate the two. All of us deserve hell. In my Bible study yesterday, the Apostle Paul said that he was the worst sinner of all, the chief of sinners. And yet because he was, God gave him grace and appointed him to proclaim the glorious gospel of God. He, God considered him faithful. Saul of Tarsus considered him faithful and gave him the most effective ministry this world has ever seen. And Paul knew how valuable he was to God, and because of that, Paul lived a life overflowing with gratitude. So, Caroline, listen more closely to your pastor. We're worth everything. And the proof of our value is that in spite of the fact that we deserve for. God loved us when we hated him. That's how valuable you are to God. Don't ever let anybody tell you differently. You might, after service or before service, go up and ask your pastor to explain what he meant, and I'm sure that will be the explanation. Thank you, Caroline. God bless you. Oliver says, uh, May I have your comments, please, on John Corson? Uh, Oliver, sure you can. John Corson is a friend. Um, I've known John. He did a men's retreat here for us a long time ago. Uh, I've known John probably for 27 years. Uh, he spoke at Bible College when I was there. He is sort of one of the OG Calvary guys. Um, and, um, um, you know, I don't agree with everything anybody teaches, but let me tell you something about John Corson that is... I think the most important thing that I could say about anything, uh, about anybody, he is, without doubt, the godliest man I've ever met. 
He is the godliest man I've ever met. He just oozes the love of God. He is patient and forgiving. He is truly interested in the people that come and talk to him. So yeah, John Corson not only gets my approval, but more importantly gets my respect, my love, and my admiration. This is a godly, godly man. He's lived a really tough life. Um, you know, he uh, lost his wife in a car wreck. His first wife, he lost his daughter from that wife in a very similar, eerily similar car wreck when she was 16 years old. Uh, his son, Peter John, who was also a Calvary Chapel pastor for a time, um, died um, last year. He contacted a, a, a parasite when he was in Vanuatu uh, in the missionary field, and it destroyed his body. And 12 years afterwards, he was, he was dead. Um, um, there had been a lot of grief and a lot of pain. And when I say John Corson is the godliest man I've ever known, that's not hyperbole at all. This is a man who is shared in the fellowship of Jesus' sufferings, and the imprint of those sufferings is all over him. So, good teacher. Jameson says, oh, well, I answered this question earlier. Is this virus a plague from God? No, it's not. Now, we know that God uses everything, good and bad. Nothing is wasted. And so this is a plague that God will use. I told you earlier in the show, Jameson, that God is going to uh, try to shake the church up. He's going to try to create a fear in people so they'll look up. So he's going to use it. But this is not a plague from God. And when we Christians say those kind of things, we're demonstrating um, our, our, our lack of integrity in terms of, of interpreting the scriptures. Christians are dying from this plague. Those are just things that happen. We live in a fallen world. But no, this isn't a plague from God. He didn't create it. The Chinese created it. There's lots of questions about what happened and how it happened. But God is going to use this just like he used the plagues on Egypt. Those plagues, by the way, were from God. But he uses everything he can to try to draw people to him. So, Jameson, don't be afraid. This isn't a plague from God. Um, God is in control of everything that happens. And I think when we get to heaven, we're going to find out just how much mercy God had on us. You know, I was thinking about David... Uh, this is late last week. I was thinking about David counting the troops of Israel and and in what was his worst sin. Um, so many thousands of people died because there's consequences to, to sin. And there was a plague on the people of God. And as they were dying, God couldn't take it anymore. And he stopped the plague short of its running its full course because he had mercy on the people. So, not a plague from God, but it certainly is a plague that God is going to use. Pray for our leaders. Pray for our our governors and our mayors. Pray for um, the people that their hope is in the political system. Their hope is in conspiracy theories. There's so many different directions people are going with this kind of stuff. 
just pray for them. Pray for them. Here is a tough question, Anonymous. Pastor Ron, why are you against the Catholic Church? Well, Anonymous, direct and to the point. Thank you. I'm not against the Catholic Church. Uh, what I do on this program and with people I care about is I, I point out the errors of the Catholic Church. The Catholic Church's doctrine is horrible. It's horrible. Uh, they have the same God, Father, Son, Spirit. They recognize all three members of the Trinity. The problem is they get the wrong gospel. Theirs is a gospel of works. Theirs is a gospel that says being part of the Catholic Church is enough to get you to heaven. Their gospel is a gospel that says do good and be saved. But, but that's not the gospel of God. That's not the good news of Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus is get saved and then do good. Um, it's just that the teaching of the Catholic Church is really, really horrible. Uh, they don't teach about being born again. They, their position is that infant baptism deals with original sin, and, and that's when a baby's born again. We know that can't be true because the baby can't make a decision. The baby can't reject sin and turn to Christ. They don't teach that you need to be born again. They worship. They can call it venerate all they want, but they worship Mary. They pray to saints. All these things that God says, those are abominations to me, embarrassment to Mary. Now, I'm sure, Anonymous, there are some Christians, real born-again believers in the Catholic Church, but they're not many in number. Jesus said to the most religious man in all of Israel, John chapter 3, you of all people shouldn't be surprised when I say you must be born again. Well, I tell Catholics that all the time. Some of them get angry at me like you are. and Others start to dig into their Bibles themselves and find out and a lot of those people get saved. You know, Anonymous, if I tell you how not against the Catholic Church I am, if I were to ask my church all three services on a Sunday. How many of you come from Catholic backgrounds? We're in San Antonio, Texas. More than 90% of those people would raise their hand. And see, they got the right Jesus. All they have to do is come to him and get to know him. So I'm not against the church. I'm against what they teach. Because what they teach is destructive. 340-9585. Here is a question from James. He said, Pastor Ron, if a, another pastor teaches Calvinism, is it okay or is it heresy? Uh, James, it's not heresy. Uh, Calvinism uh, is a systematic theology. Uh, as you know, you've heard on this program, James, I'm, I, I oppose Calvinism. It's a very destructive thing uh, in the walk of, of Christians. Um, too often I see Calvinists with their belief in sovereign grace. Well, if God wants me to do something, he'll make me do it. Uh, I was just talking to a man today uh, about this very issue. and um, Calvinism is simply not a healthy doctrine. It's not heresy, though. So if a pastor teaches Calvinism, it's because he is a Calvinist. He's adopted that systematic theology and uh, all I could say, James, is that while he is not a heretic, uh, he's missing out on so much. 
I, I've met one, and I mean this literally one Calvinist pastor who was filled with joy in my life. Just one. I've met a whole bunch of them who thought they knew everything, sort of looked down at those of us who weren't Calvinists. Um, Calvinism is simply not a healthy, vibrant doctrinal position, one that would produce abundant fruit in the life of the believer. So I hope that answers your question, James. Thank you. Noah wants to know. I think we're in about three three minutes, for a little little under four minutes. Um, Noah says, why don't we abide by the seventh-day Sabbath? And Noah, the reason is because the seventh-day Sabbath wasn't given to us. It was given to Israel. And unless you are a Jew from Israel and under the law, remember, Paul was a Jew, Peter was a Jew, all of the apostles were Jews. They're the ones who changed the day of worship from the seventh day because Jesus fulfilled the law to the first day of the week in honor and in celebration of the resurrection of Christ. So we don't abide by it. We were never told to. You know, in the days when, when uh, God gave the law through Moses, um, he never expected non-Jews, Gentiles, to observe the Sabbath. It was only for Jews. And we need to understand that the law was given to demonstrate the character and the nature of God. The law was given to people who didn't know better and yet who God loved so deeply that he told them the best way to live. The law was given to Israel so that hopefully by living according to the law, they would be a light to the pagan peoples around them. Well, that never worked. It was always the pagan peoples around them that influenced them, never the other way around. And see, our lesson, Noah, is that keeping rules is never the way to serve God. It's never the way to be the light of Christ. So we don't abide by the seventh-day Sabbath because, read Exodus chapter 20, to the Israelites, he said, the law was given to Israel, the law wasn't given to you. And the law wasn't given to me. And the payoff for that, Noah, is that we, all of us, get to have a Sabbath rest in Christ, Hebrews chapter 4 says, every minute of every day. So the corporate day worship was changed by Jewish apostles to celebrate the resurrection of our Lord. Uh, Last question, I can't do that one, don't have enough time. Carl says, if someone believes in Jesus but doesn't repent of their sins, are they really saved? The answer, Carl, is no, because you can't even meet Jesus until you're ready to repent. You've got to turn from sin, turn to Jesus. That's what repentance is. You were going one direction. You need to go the other direction. And if you don't come to him on his terms, then no, you don't know him. You haven't really met him. You might have met an imposter. You might feel like you met him. But the truth is, to come to him, remember he told Moses, take off thy sandals for the ground you're on is holy ground. When we come to Jesus, we're on holy ground. And we can't remain in our sin and claim we've met the Lord. I'm going to come back to that question a little bit more tomorrow, Carl. Hey, thank you for tuning in today. This has been the Word to Stand On for Life. 
I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. Lord willing, I'll be back tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM 630 The Word. Be safe, stay close to the Lord, and be filled with gratitude. I'll see you tomorrow. Bye-bye. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand out more about Calvary Chapel at CalvarySA.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio.